it was definitely fun. I love it. I love what I do, as you can tell, because I just do it all the time. <laughs> I want to succeed. And I think that it is such a hard market to do here in the world of content creation. We talked about it earlier that like, so few people do succeed is that if I want it, I'm going to have to work my butt off. And that's the only option. As a content creator, there's always more to be done. And I don't do well with not doing it. Um, and my advice is always to consume content before going live. It is good being a viewer that knows what the sort of like content creation ecosystem looks like, how you interact with the chat and vice versa. Um, and that is a good, good place to start. Think about what it is you want out of content, uh, whether that's a full-time job or a hobby or friends, because it's a great place to make friends, to be honest. And, uh, and then build a plan accordingly. Hello, and welcome to Humans of Magic. This week, we're talking at MTG Nerdgirl. MTG Nerdgirl is the CEO of TCG Studios and the founder of Degenerate Gaming. She's also got a brand new YouTube commander show called Decked Out. So definitely check that out if you haven't already. So what do we talk about in this episode? It's really her story, but also how she approaches content creation. If you're a content creator of any kind or just enjoy watching MTG Nerdgirl's content, I think this is going to inspire and let you appreciate how she does it. Because quite frankly, she's one of the hardest working people in magic or magic content, and she just does not stop. She's got an incredible work ethic. I really love talking to her. I hope you get a chance to listen to it the whole way through. We even have this crazy moment at the end where we break the fourth wall, and it gets super candid but super fun. Without further ado, this is MTG Nerd Girl. Yeah, Magic 30 was really fun. Um, I mean, I wasn't one of the content creators that they brought out. They didn't bring a ton of content creators out, but um, a lot of us showed up and it was really cool. So we got to, um, you know, hang out in big groups. I got to go do dinners with friends of like Twitch, my moderators, as well as other content creators. Um, the owner of Cool Stuff took all of the people that they sponsor out to a nice dinner and we all got to sort of like interact and uh, hang out quite a bit, which was really great. Yeah. And uh, did you get a chance to play any magic at all? Or was it yeah, mostly hanging out? Yeah, so I did. I played a ton. I didn't do as much casual magic as I thought I would. I brought some commander decks, hardly used them. But I did do a lot of grinding for the events of it. I did a couple of 2HGs, one with Melissa the Torah, one with one of my moderators. And we I did like a spooky sealed, which was seven packs of all of the like various Innistrad sets, which right. was fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you? Have you always been more of a... Uh, a non-casual player? Because I remember listening to one of the episodes you did with Melissa on your podcast, and you, were, you guys were talking about how to prepare for a tournament and things like that. And obviously you played in uh, MCs or events like that. So are, are you more on the, the competitive side? Yeah. I, I mean, when I was younger, I've been playing Magic for about 22 years now. And when I was young, obviously it was very casual. But uh, once I got back into Magic as an adult, especially after coming off of poker, full-time for so many years, I went straight to the competitive stuff. What was the overall experience like? Because I I guess I'll, I'll just front load the question to say that I've heard lots of mixed reactions about Magic 30 in terms of the events. And like, obviously people look at it through different lenses or angles, but like, what was your experience like actually playing the events and experiencing that? Yeah, the events were behind 
They were, they seem to be a little short staffed. They seem to be a little short on space. They seem to have overbooked the events. They, were, they ran out of room. There was a lot going on. The um, prize support was pretty lackluster, but I mean, you kind of, that's not why people were there. It was not promoted as a big EV event. And um, there was a lot of things going on that I think the people who were running the magic side of things, which was pastimes, couldn't really help. So like there were no really good ways for them to like make events on the spot. Everything was like pre-registered. And I think wizards had a lot to do with that and they just didn't have the space. So a lot of events were firing late. So then they would like cancel around. So people weren't late to the next thing they had to pre-register for. Um, yeah, it was, it was kind of a mess, but I think the overall feeling was that it was not a disaster. It was just this sort of like when one flight is delayed, then they try to push people into the other flights, which makes them all overcrowded. And then one of them is delayed. And then it's just a huge mess. Kind of felt like that. Mm, okay. Cause you've been to a lot of tournaments. Like how does this one stack up with larger events that you've been to? Well, there was really no major tournament, right? There was no 5k or Grand Prix or anything like that. So it was just side events and people very like, jammed into their own little sections. So I played the 2HG, which were mostly held off to the far left side of the hall. So we were kind of out of the way of most people. So there wasn't a ton of traffic in that area, which was kind of nice. But for the most part, it was, you know, side events, very similar to your larger events. Yeah, yeah. Um, aside from playing the events, like uh, you said, you mentioned going out and hanging out with people and going to nice meals. Like, was there anything else that really stood out in terms of being at the event or maybe just being in Vegas. Yeah, we played a little blackjack. We got to hang out in sort of large groups. The most of the creators all kind of stayed at like similar hotels around the convention. So, you know, I was at a blackjack table with like a lot of my mods and, um, you know, Ruben Bresler, which is one of my co-hosts of Magic Mics and a few other smaller content creators. And on like at the craps table on the corner was like Jimmy and Josh from Game Nights and a bunch of other people. Kibler was there. Um, I ended up opening like, two packs of Italian legends over the weekend. So I like ran over to the craps table and was like, Gavin, Gavin Barry. I was like, rub my pack. I need the luck, which was, you know, just a ton of fun. So a cool Vegas atmosphere, which was really neat. Like we kind of just took over the bottom floor of the Plaza hotel uh, and casino. So it was neat getting to see everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And you pulled, you had some nice polls, right? I think I saw in your, in your tweets, like, what did you get from the legends pack? Yeah. So the first one just had another void. Uh, just another void, nothing, nothing too crazy. And the second yeah. one had the um, Sylvan Library and the Tabernacle in it, so it was huge. Wow. Okay, yeah. a Tabernacle <laughs> is like what is? It, I don't know how much it's worth now. Maybe like ten k or seven to ten k. I think it's like four ish for, for like Italian a normal one. one. Yeah. Yeah, and then I opened an Italian one, so I think it's probably closer to like twenty seven hundred or something like that. That's still that's still huge. It's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh, were there any like one or two memorable moments in particular that stood out for you for Magic Thirty, or was it just was it all just like is a mishmash of things happening? Or, um, yeah, I would say opening the Tabernacle is probably one of them, and then the other thing is I put together most of it was like doing other people's dinners and things with them. Uh, I put together on Thursday night before it all started a nice dinner um, and a show with. A lot of my mods i brought some wizards employees and friends and i also brought like the owner of cool stuff which is my sponsor um and i took them to a sort of smaller cirque du soleil 
slash burlesque show, which was really okay. funny. Sort of, uh, you know, comedy and stand up in there as well as like the burlesque and Cirque du Soleil type acts. But bringing my boss and some of the Wizards employees to a, to like a burlesque type show is like, this is either going to be great and they're going to love it, or I'm never going to get another sponsorship in the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> Everybody seemed to have a pretty good time, but it was really funny. Okay. So it turned out okay. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, is this the first time that you met some of your mods or have you, have you guys met before? There was one or two that were first time at an event. Um, one of my friends, online friends came from, um, Australia. So that was the first time I've gotten to meet them in person, but the rest of them, for the most part, we get to hang out from time to time at various events for magic. Did they come from Australia just to meet you? Was that the deal or? No, they came for, they're here for like a larger holiday, but I think magic 30 was the main reason they came, but not for me specifically. Okay, so you were number three. So it was like it was like Magic Thirty Holiday and then MTG Nerd Girl. Okay, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. And you're headed to another event very soon, right? Yeah, Magic Summit's right around the corner, about a week and a half away. I think it's going to be a more down to earth event, not quite as grand, but as far as like who's there and the events that they're running, I think this is going to be the biggest Magic event in years. Um, you know, Magic 30 had like a big stage where Jimmy and Joss did a live show. That's great. They had kind of a, a mess of side events and that was kind of it. A lot of vendors, but mm -hmm. this event has a huge roster of artists and creators, dozens upon dozens out shining 30, not close. They also have a big Black Lotus main event. They have five K's in every format, legacy, standard, modern, pioneer, limited, everything. So it's going to yeah. be a ton of fun. I think there's going to be a big showing. Will you be busy there just uh, being a featured person or, uh, or a creator, or will you actually try to play some of the events as well? So originally I was going to try to play some of the events, but I actually have a booth there as a team owner. And then I'm also driving out there to Salt Lake. It's about a 13 hour drive. So I can bring my recording studio with me and I'm going to be recording some episodes for my new EDH show. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, Decked Out, it's called, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Decked Out. And then DGen Gaming, which is the esports team that I founded, we have a mm -hmm. booth and we're doing um, like meet and greet panels as well as um, we're bringing like a bunch of cubes and EDH mm -hmm. deck pre-cons to like battle with all of our viewers and friends and just have a good time. That's that's awesome. Uh, is, uh, is Veggie going to be there, Veggie Wagon? Yeah, so Veggie's my co-host. He's going to be flying there as well and... Um, Basically, DGen Gaming got two uh, Airbnb houses. One is for the recording house, and the other one's like sort of the party house. So if yeah. you're not actively recording an episode of Decked Out, then you go to the other house and have pizza and drinks and hang and do, you know, EDH or whatever it is people are going to do in the other house. Uh, and then during the day, we'll be at the con doing our like panels and our um, meetups because we're each person has a schedule and we do various EDH games with people there at the event. And we also have like meet and greets at the booth, which will be fun. Is it stressful organizing all of that? I assume you're basically taking the lead in doing that, or do you have a team of like distributed help? How does that work? Yeah, no, um, I have been starting one too many projects. Uh, <laughs> certainly, um, I actually get a little help with some of the physical stuff. My mom actually moved in with me at the beginning of COVID and she's now like sort of an official uh, full-time secretary, but she's not 
super computer savvy. So what she does is like, hey, I need to sleeve all these pre-con decks for the EDH show. So one of the things we've been doing the last couple of days is like all the new Brothers War pre-cons. Uh, we got sent some early for the show to make sure we can record in time. Um, the 40K pre-con decks and uh, I, I taught her how to make a cube. I basically opened, you know, five boxes and I was like, we need one of every red, two of every gold, three of every uh, blue and four of every black symbol, right? And I was like, yeah. and then sleeve them in these 3,000 sleeves, please. And so she's been really, really helpful with that, which is great. So th she's got a lot of that logistical stuff covered. But as far as like reaching out to various content creators to do the meet and greet panels, um, you know, dealing with the Airbnbs, all of that stuff, it's, you know, largely on me, but mm -hmm. I should probably stop making projects. Which is why I'm so thankful you're even sitting here doing the the podcast with me because like, it's just, you're, you're so, um, I just have a sense that you're so dedicated to your craft. And I think part of being a creator is also like, we have to always figure out, like not, not figure out, but like, we want to do new things, but it's always a balance, right? Yeah. So you were very patient, which I appreciated. And I like, cause every time you would, you know, poke me, I'd be like, oh my God, there's like 30,000 things. And <laughs> you're sorry, saying yeah. there's a, a, no, no, it's great. Uh, yeah. I appreciated it. Um, cause I did definitely did want to, and I felt bad, but like you were saying that there's a balance. I have no balance. I just literally, especially the last few months have been really bad since I started trying to do the recording studio, the team stuff and my own personal content. There is no yeah. balance. I wake up, I work until I literally can't like think of my own name and then I fall asleep. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just gonna ask you if, is balance kind of a lie? Because I think about this a lot. Like, you know, I think about what we call work-life balance or whatever balance we want to have, but I'm starting to come around to the idea that maybe balance is a lie because if you really want something, you're just going to try to go as hard as you can and ideally not to, not to idolize it, but it feels like we need to have focus. And part of the byproduct of focus is being like stressed out because, um, honestly, if you're stressed out about something, it means you actually care about something. Like if I'm not stressed out about whatever it is, that means I don't care about it. So it's like, if you're overworking or you're stressed out, I, I can't assume, but I assume you, you feel stressed at certain points. Like that just means you're working towards your goal, right? Or, you know what you need to focus on. It's just that there's not enough hours in the day to do it. I don't, I don't know if you feel that way, but I've just been thinking about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the personality. Like some people get happiness out of striving and, and working towards those goals to the point where it stresses them out. And some people have happy, uh, you know, feelings just kind of hanging out and having a good balance. And the things that bring them joy is the, the doing nothing part, the part where you actually get to hang out with your friends and do stuff, which I do enjoy, but I also just have no chill. So it's just not an option. <laughs> I think most creators, we don't have chill, right? That's just, that's yeah. not in the dictionary. Yeah. Um, where do you think you, you get your drive from? I'm not sure. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I've just, I've been working since I was very young and I've just progressively gotten more and more into it. My mom thinks I'm a workaholic. But when I have a normal job, you know, which I have in the past, I've been able to work my job and then come home and be done. I didn't really feel the need to work more. But now as a content creator, there's always more to be done. And I don't 
do well with not doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or as I like to say, like when I feel too comfortable, that makes me uncomfortable. Like I, if I'm not pushing myself, uh, if I don't have ideas in the shower, like it's just really, it's, I feel weird. Like I, I have to, I want to do new things. Um, but I, I want to explore that a little bit with you. So like, tell me a bit about maybe your, your past, like maybe even before the, the magic stuff, like what, what, um, what sorts of work have you been doing? And, uh, oh, sorry, this is a whole bunch of questions. Maybe we can just start with like, um, how did you even find magic in the first place? Like, were you always gaming and like, how, how, how did that situation arise? Yeah. So I started playing magic with a group of friends that I was playing games with. Um, so my first gateway game was a tabletop minis game called mage Knights. That was, how I remember all, that. That's how yeah. it all started. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked dragons. I had little dragon figurines or whatever. And uh, one of my best friends was at a hobby shop with her dad and saw a mage knight dragon. One of the bigger pieces and was like, hey, nerd girls. Uh, at the time, it was just Brittany. Uh, nerd girl's birthday is coming up. And can we get her this? And you know, I'm like in elementary school or whatever. And so she got me the dragon for my birthday. It sat on my shelf with the rest of my other dragons. And one day I'm like walking by a card store and I'm like, hey, you're playing, what is this? I have this piece on this table. What, what is this? What does my dragon do? What are these little clicking things I never knew? And they're like, oh, come by the store. We'll teach you how to use it. Bring your dragon. We'll give you some other pieces to borrow. So it all just kind of slowly tumbled downhill from there. So I show up, play some mage nights. There's a group of uh, other people over the summer at the table next to us. Cause at the summer, all of the games during the week, uh, during like school year, it was one game per day kind of thing. But in the summer, everybody just comes to the card store. So they were playing D&D &D and they're like, hey, come play D&D &D with us in between whatever on other days. So now I'm going two or three days a week. And I'm like, hey, what, what is this you're doing in between in between turns here? Like, oh, this is magic. You should come on Friday. And I'm like, okay, well, here we are. Um, and it just spun wildly out of control as a child. What were one of your first, uh, maybe, do you remember one of your first magic decks or was, did someone hand it to you or like, how did you No, I, I bought a pre-con. I can't remember the exact set because it ended up getting like destroyed after a while because what I would do as a kid, I bought mono white pre-con and then mm. I would buy one pack every single time I went to the card store and I would fan out my deck and pick a white card and be like, you look better than you. And I would just like switch them out. Okay. And so it turned into this like terrible bunch of one ofs of cards that were not very good. Um, and it was my baby. So it was kind of like a little white weenie precon, probably from like judgment ish area, something like that. Okay. But you had the sense to actually swap out the cards. I think most new players, they just add the card instead of like taking one out. So at least you were, it wasn't becoming like a 200 card deck or something, right? No. Yeah. I, I think at the time, I didn't want to mess with like the mana balance, like how many, like how much land there were to the cards. I think that was sort of my, my thought process as a small child. How did you even know that? Cause I, I don't, I didn't even know these concepts in magic, like mana balance or like thinking, thinking about that at all when I was younger, like how, how did you come up with that? I'm not sure. That's just kind of how my brain worked. I mean, I ended up playing po full-time poker like shortly thereafter. So that's not terribly surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you said you went into poker. Was it like a full-time thing at some point in your life? Yeah. So I, uh, did full-time poker very, for a very long time from, you know, six ish years, um, started out as like home games and then just 
immediately went into um, casinos in California. Indian reservations are 18. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed a lot easier to make money that way than working at like the Quiznos I was working at at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So were you at a at a point in time, like both uh, pl- uh, working at Quiznos and grinding? Or did you just leave the job and, and go into poker? Was it like a gradual thing? Um, I mean, I was doing both when it was like house games and stuff with friends. Um, and I was like, oh man, this is just so much more lucrative. So I'll just stop. And then I would just go out to casinos for the weekend or... Uh, when I hit 21, I'd go out, out to Vegas for the weekend, and that's how I would pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. So what was it like to become a, a poker grinder? Like, what was that experience? I mean, it was fine, stressful. There's a lot going on. And I was never playing in, like, large tournaments or anything. Like, I never went and played in, like, the World Series. So it was mostly just small ball cash games. And mm-hmm. I would, like, like I said, pay my rent out of my bankroll. So we never... We never got to go do crazy poker story things, but it was just. So were you, were you less on the tournaments and more on the cash games? Is that what it was? Oh yeah. I'm a terrible tournament player. Like I'm actually terrible. (laughs) I, I, so, um, I used to play a little bit of cash and a little bit of tournaments and I was always, I I don't think I was anywhere good or anything. I'm just saying that, um, yeah, it's, it's very different skill sets, right? I, I think. I think cash games for me are just more fun. And I don't know, did you play just no limit or did you play different variations? Um, I mean, I would play micro stakes online for all sorts of variants, like, you know, Raz or, or pineapple, things like that. No problem. But for real money at a table, you know, if I was playing, uh, it would only be Hold'em. And I mostly played, uh, like started out one, two, and then I ended up in like two, five, which is a substantially bigger game, but not like an outrageous game. Yeah, I used to play a little bit of uh, Full Tilt and Poker Stars before the ban. So this is mm-hmm. like uh, must have been in, must have been like two thousands. And funny enough, I don't play poker at all anymore. I think I might I just sort of uh, wean myself entirely from poker, if that's a term. I don't know. Like, but uh, I, I do remember those early days and the games being a lot easier. But I, I I wanted to know like what was your experience like? Like, did you play? So it was a combination of like uh, live and also online games. Is that what it was? Or is it mostly online? I was actually mostly live. I played some online, but I wasn't nearly as profitable. And I wasn't playing uh, the same same stakes. So it was mostly I would play uh, in the evenings uh, after school or um, after work. And then on the weekends, I would go and do like long, you know, double 15 hour sessions, like basically, you know, 15 hour session, sleep, 15 hour session. And then that was, that was kind of it. Wow. Okay. So you were still going to school? Like, did you, uh, what did, what did you study or? Uh, yeah. So I did poker all through school basically. And towards the end, I was even dealing at a casino down in San Diego, um, as, uh, just a regular poker dealer, um, in addition to playing full time as well. And uh, I went to school for liberal studies, which is elementary school education, and I have a minor in science, so um, earth science and ocean conservation specifically. What were your motivations for taking those subjects? Did you want it? Uh, did you originally want to be a teacher, or yeah, what I still something? do eventually, but um, they'll, they'll, we'll do that later. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how, how, what made you end up transitioning away from poker? I got more into competitive magic. I started cashing a lot of Grand Prix, and I had some friends be like, hey, you should totally stream this. I think people would love to see it. So I decided to give it a try, and I 
just stuck with it. I'm not quite sure why, but um, yeah, I also don't play poker at all anymore because it was never a thing that I could really do for fun. And I feel like if I'm not mm. at the top of my game, then it's not worth doing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds familiar for a lot of uh, poker player turned magic players. I think magic is just, there's a lot more variety and, and also just, I'm, I'm also wondering like in terms of the, uh, the magic stuff and you said you started streaming like what was that initial experience like give me an idea as to like when you started streaming on twitch and uh what was that initial maybe first um weeks or months like yeah um so i started right when i graduated from college which i graduated pretty late i took my sweet time getting there um but i decided to just go full time and i gave myself six months to see if i could like pay the bills with this and if i couldn't get it in six months i was going to go finish getting my teaching credential and become a teacher. Um, I was just a little off. I wasn't quite paying my bills with it after six months, but I was pretty close. So I decided to stick it out and, and uh, got there a month or two later, which was nice. But yeah, it was difficult because I was not a consumer of content. That's the number one thing I recommend when people ask for advice on if they should stream or what they need to do. Um, and my advice is always to consume content before going live. And uh, yeah, I didn't know what alerts were. I didn't know what anything was. I'd never really been on Twitch. Um, I've seen the occasional YouTube video, but nothing specific. So it is good being a viewer that knows what the sort of like content creation ecosystem looks like, how you interact with the chat and vice versa. Um, and that is a good, good place to start. So it was a steep learning curve for me not having known the other side of it, but um, it was definitely fun. I love it. I love what I do, as you can tell, because I just do it all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was that initial experience like? Just turning on the stream and and playing Magic and having people watch? Like that must be a foreign experience to a lot of people who don't stream. So I'm curious if you can you can like run us through it. I'm not really sure. I have a ton to say. Like I said, it was kind of weird, and I was struggling because I didn't know what. I was supposed to necessarily be doing. I didn't know what kind of interactions I would be having. So it was more just learning it as I went. And that was the interesting part of it. But for the most part, I don't think I had um, anything too crazy. It. I realized I had to have a thicker skin than I probably would have initially guessed. I had people come in and tell me like, oh, you look like you're balding. And oh, you have no eyebrows and yada, Seriously? yada, yada. That's yeah. crazy. Like, because that's just what the internet does, especially yeah. to, to women. So thankfully, I've never been bothered by that. But it definitely was more than I was anticipating would have been the only experience that caught me a little off guard. Right. I guess it's just the uh, the internet, as you said, uh, which mm -hmm. is unfortunate. Um, but, but also, like, how did you build up your audience? Like, do you just keep grinding and streaming, like, for as a like full-time hours and then people just started gradually coming in like uh, how, how did that work i'm just curious like yeah, starting it's, from zero it's an interesting one because i had a different experience than most magic players it's a lot easier to grow in the magic community and i don't mean that to say it's not difficult because there's a lot of creators out there that are struggling but i at the time when i started streaming arena wasn't around yet and I didn't want to stream Moto because I actually really don't like it. So even though I was playing competitive magic full time and, and grinding around and um, like money drafting and stuff, I ended up streaming Hearthstone instead because I just wanted a user-friendly client. 
and I did not want to play Moto. Um, so I started with zero viewers. The only person in my channel was my best friend who had me on mute while he played WoW the whole time <laughs> for several weeks. Like, so I'm not, not zero, kidding. you had one. Yes. Yeah. He counts as zero. He was not listening at all or speaking in the chat. Um, and after a few weeks, I remember hitting 20 viewers and it was like a really big deal. And now, you know, when I look at that, like the Hearthstone side of things from a zero perspective stream, like from zero start streamer to a magic zero start streamer, it's, I think it's a lot easier in magic in general. Um, the other thing is most magic streamers actually start with a nice little boost because of previous performance. So they're mm -hmm. like a tournament grinder. They have friends in the magic community, things like that, because it is more of a community than Hearthstone. Mm -hmm. Um, if you, and this isn't true for everybody, because if maybe you've never been to a tournament before, but for the most part, when someone fires up their stream, they have, you know, played on a pro tour or gone to an RCQ and have friends that want to support them in their stream, which mm -hmm. is not something you find in other categories. Mm -hmm. So they have some sort of base or audience or potential audience from their offline IRL yeah. magic stuff, right? Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm thinking about some pros who went into streaming and I guess they, they do have that built-in thing, but, um, you did it the hard way, right? Cause you did it with Hearthstone and you started from zero or base one, but basically zero. Like were there things that, cause you had mentioned also kind of like, you know, looking back, like let we sh you should have tried to study, uh, what sorts of content is out there. So how did you end up adapting what you did basically? So I had a good like little session when I started my content, I had a chat, like a little list of things to do. And I tried to do one per day. I would also try to stream between eight and 12 hours a day, every day. And then after that, I would fold laundry and watch shows and play other games off stream with uh, another stream on my monitor. And I would be hanging out sort, sort of like networking, making friends with other creators, also watching what they were doing and not stealing it, but being like, oh, you know, alerts, that's a cool idea. I should look at how to get alerts, um, things like that. And so it was like, okay, today I'm going to set up my Patreon. I'm going to stream 10 hours. And then I'm going to like hang out in streams for four or five hours. And I just did that for like years. I would wake up, get my coffee, um, watch streams while I returned emails to sponsors or wrote emails to potential sponsors, things like that. Mm-hmm. What kept you motivated? Because you said that six months in, you were not quite at the level that you, you planned to be. And obviously you were working other jobs. So like, there must be something about this sort of lifestyle. I don't know if it's like working for yourself or, or some other thing, like what, what kept you motivated through those uh, months and years? Probably the community, uh, not necessarily the magic community, but like the specific, my community. Um, selfishly, like I've made so many friends, like the first time I went to TwitchCon, I got to meet a ton of people. Um, they have been great and wonderful. And like, when I don't stream for a couple of days, I kind of miss them. It's a little Stockholm syndrome probably, but, um, I think the community is great and I really, really love the friends that I've made here. And mm -hmm. what I do is sort of, it brings me a lot of comfort to stream and to have the community. And then a lot of people tell me the same for me, that they have found a place, not necessarily with me, but with the community that I have created. Um, and that has that, that has given them a lot of 
I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but um, <laughs> a lot of help or... during difficult times. Yeah, help during difficult times. Got you, got you. So uh, how, I mean, it. It's, it's this is kind of a flawed question, but would you still recommend uh, something like your path to people that want to be a creator? Like, I guess I'm asking this question because I always read about how it's harder than ever to be, you know, a streamer. It's harder than ever to get attention in a world where there's increasingly more and more stuff. Uh, I, I guess maybe this is overblown, but I'm curious, like how, how you think about that looking back. And if someone were to literally just say, Hey, Nergro, I'm thinking about, uh, doing what you do. Like, what would you say to them? I mean, I think everybody should start streaming as a hobby. I don't recommend the path that I went full time to, to pay the bills because so few content creators make it that far. Mm -hmm. It's really tough. And it's, it's sort of like wanting to be a, a famous singer, like one out of how many actually make it to where they can support themselves or being an artist. Um, it's kind of in that same realm where it's like the chance of success is pretty small. So you take a really big risk when you quit your job, go full time, buy all the equipment and sort of have these great hopes. And it's sort of like the, the Ratatouille thing, right? Like anyone can cook, but like at the end of the movie, you learn that a great cook can come from anywhere, but it doesn't mean <laughs> that everybody will be successful. If that makes sense. I don't know yeah. how else to like kind of make that work. So it's, it's not that you aren't going to make it, but it's that you should go into this knowing that it's not necessarily super likely and take the steps you need to accordingly to protect yourself, whether that's keep your other job or, um, I don't know, don't get too overly attached. How, how do you prevent yourself from getting too attached to what you do? I don't know. I didn't do it. I just did it. So, like I was very attached. I don't recommend right. it. I got lucky. Yeah. Very, very lucky. Uh, you strike me as someone, I'm sorry, uh, don't take this the wrong way. You strike me as someone who is quite rational. Like I, I'm not trying to say this as a kind of judgment or like a compliment or not a compliment. I, you just strike me as someone who's like measured, right? Like you, you're doing what you're doing with like some sort of purpose. Like you wouldn't do something unless you felt like there was a good potential outcome. But at the same time, what you just told me suggests that you kind of have to be a little irrational to, to do it. Like, like don't expect anything. Yeah. And I, I think the, what I did as far as like, so I was a little lucky cause I made the transition into full-time content day, I, day, day one, but also mm -hmm. I wasn't in a job. I didn't have to make the decision to quit my job to do it, which I know a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the scary thing. I was a student. I graduated from college and now I'm in this limbo. So it's like, do I take path A or path B? Um, but I was on a path that was ending. So it was a little bit easier for me, but I do know a lot of people who are like, I'm going to get into streaming. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to spend all of my paycheck on all of the equipment and fancy stuff that full-time creators have. And then they struggle to get past the, you know, two to five viewer mark and they feel very hopeless. And, you know, I have started a, a, an esports team that doesn't like discriminate on size of the creator in any way. We've got creators that have one viewer and we have creators that have seven or 800 or mm -hmm. CGB has like 1500. Um, 
And so I work with streamers of all sizes and we have a general discord where it's like, Hey, I haven't gotten any more followers this week. You know, last week I was at 20 concurrent this week. I'm at like 10 concurrent. I feel really badly and I want to help them, but I don't necessarily know how or, you know, it's, it's tough. I've seen, seen it from all sides. And the only thing I can, only advice I can give is, um, to think about what it is you want out of content, uh, whether that's a full-time job or a hobby or friends, because it's a great place to make friends, to be honest. And, uh, and then build a plan accordingly. Mm -hmm. So what was your motivation for starting, uh, degenerate or degen gaming uh, to start the team? Yeah. So the esports team I started, I was on several other teams, including Tempo Storm and Fade to Karma. I was in talks with Envy and a few others. Mm -hmm. And um, Magic kind of killed it for us. So they made these, these big splash in the esport world. And um, I was safe and happy on my, my one team from Hearthstone, which was great. And all of a sudden Magic did this thing and all of the esports flocked to it and they were like yeah we're gonna do we're gonna do this we pick up a bunch of streamers and honestly they were pretty scummy they dropped a lot of content creators without notice they broke contracts they just didn't pay us one went under and didn't pay anyone which was a little less their fault because they did go under but tempo storm for example just dropped us they put us all into a call and said hey you're no longer on tempo storm and we're like hey we have a contract and they're like yeah you can fight us if you want um, good luck. Oh, geez. It'll oh. cost you more to fight us than we'll owe you in the contract. Um, yeah. and so we made a little bit of a stink about it and they're like, okay, fine. You can go out through the rest of the end of the month. We'll pay you mm -hmm. for the end of the month. Mm -hmm. And so that sucked. So I went back to my old team and I got all Eldrazi and a few others. I was like, Hey guys, I have connections with this old team. I'll get you, I'll put you in a good, put in a good word, get you guys on this team. Great. So we're not homeless essentially. And, um, that worked out for a little while until they went under and then they just went under and didn't pay. So great. Uh, so a lot of me and my friends were homeless and I got sick of it. I got sick of teams picking us up when it was convenient, when there was money to be made and then dropping us, you know, it's one thing to say, Hey, your contract's up. We're not going to renew it, but to drop mm -hmm. us mid contract, uh, in that way with, in such disrespectful ways, I think, mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, I got sick of it. So I was like, you know what, we're done. We're, we're not going to let teams take the lion's share of our sponsorships and then also treat us like dirt. So we're just going to make our own The you know, the, I get paid the same as my content creators. The sponsors get better coverage because the streamers are actually a lot more invested in what they're doing because they get the lion's share of the profits. Mm -hmm. So we, we formed our own clubhouse essentially. That's the right way to go. It sounds like you took matters into your own hands, right? You want to be in control of your own destiny. I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's just, you're talking about these orgs that are just very scummy and unprofessional and disrespectful, as you said, but it's also just a kind of, maybe I'm, maybe I'm saying this unfairly, but like, it's also nice to have that wake up call. Sometimes it's like, this is how the world works. So if I wanted the world to work in a way that I want it to work, then I kind of have to put it into my own hands. Right? Yep, exactly. And so I gathered a couple of my friends, Ollie, Covert Go Blue, and a few smaller content creators that we thought, you know, would benefit from, you know, forming a little group. And we all bring something different to the table. Uh, I obviously started the team and I do the administrative stuff. I deal with sponsors and 
all of the fun, boring things that I do. Um, yep. But on the same hand, like, you know, Ollie, I'm like, hey, we have a big sponsor. We're doing coverage. We're, we're doing a, a tournament. We do our own opens. So I'm like, Ollie, we have a big sponsor. We want this to look good. Will you come do coverage? He'll do that. Um, you know, the, one of the first things I put in the emails to sponsors is like, would you like to be on CGB's channel? Um, so he brings, you know, some notoriety and stuff. And we have a ton of other smaller content creators who run our events, who make our banners and logos, who are just incredibly helpful. And everybody pitches in and it's fantastic. So what kind of... Uh... What kind of culture do you, I mean, you kind of already alluded to it, but I'm, I'm wondering, like, is there a specific type of culture you want to instill because you're the CEO, right? So like in terms of, uh, this, this team, like what, what sorts of things are you looking for in terms of maybe, uh, how you guys behave, but also like how you take in new members, right? Yes. Yeah, so we kind of stopped for a while. I was taking in just like anybody who seemed reasonable and nice on a trial trial run. And we're kind of full. We've we've gotten to the capacity to where I can no longer really manage it myself. And um, it's it's a lot of cats to herd. <laughs> but for the most part, you have to be passionate about content creation and you have to be wanting to build a community that's larger than yourself. A couple of, you know, really good magic players and very, you know, reasonably popular streamers have come to the team saying, hey, I want to join the team. How much can you pay me? What can you do for me? And that is like, oh, we'll let you know. Um, and that's mm -hmm. it. But a lot of people come to the table and they're just like, hey, I love the one James. I play in his events. I help him with coverage. Uh, you know, he hangs out in my channel. I would love to work with him more. I'm like, great. That's what we want to see. Uh, I don't care what size you are. I just care that you care about building something larger than yourself. Yes. I think that's a good quality. I can definitely feel that with, um, I have to admit, I don't know all the team members that well, but I think the person I know the, the best out of the team is probably Veggie, which is why I name dropped him because um, we had a really good conversation and we've been friendly with each other. And he's just like, seems like the perfect person to to exemplify what your team is because he's always someone who cares about paying it forward. Like whenever he's involved in a cause, I always sense that there's a lot of the community that wants to go and help him because he is the kind of person who helps other people. Therefore, it's just good vibes. Like he really, he really cares about, you know, contributing in certain ways. So I feel like uh, to cherry pick on his name, like he seems like the perfect kind of person, personality to have on the team because he kind of lives those values that, that you mentioned, right? Yeah, he actually, when he applied to the team, he made a video interview or a video application, which yeah. was in the usual veggie style and was super funny. And I actually didn't know this, but he was creating content outside of Magic before I made the DGen Gaming sort of bat signal, mm -hmm. please apply, when it was just me, Ollie, and CGB. Mm -hmm. um, and he actually branched out from his he had a partner with another channel and branched out into his own veggie wagon when he got accepted to DGen gaming. So he thought that was like his opportunity, which I didn't know until recently. Cause I actually sort of picked up veggie as my co-host for my new EDH show. Mm -hmm. And, um, I got to ha hang out a lot with him. Um, and yeah, he is, he's a wonderful person. I'm so glad that 
I opened that email and got his thing, and also that he is now going to be my new co-host. He's actually moving out to Portland to do the full-time um, Tournament Grounds production, which is oh, really great. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, because I knew he was in the mass area, so he's actually permanently moving to the West Coast. Yes. I mean, if, if all things go according to plan, um, we've, you know put a, a good chunk of money into the recording studio. Um, so we think we have a pretty good product and we're really excited about it. That is awesome. That is awesome. Uh, what I love about veggie is just that he's so serious about comedy. Like he's so serious about his craft, which is like yeah. pretty, uh, pretty amazing stuff. Very dedicated person. Yeah. He's, he's the funny one of the, the group actually. Uh, so tournament ground slash decked out is a, a is a three, a trio. Um, and we all do something kind of different in, in the group of production. We have an off-camera guy who does um, the production side. He stays at the camera and checks, you know, equipment and does all that. He works on our graphics mm -hmm. as well as like our financials. Uh, whereas I do promotion and I organize who's going to be on the show and bring them in and pizza and drinks and all of that, as well as, you know, posts and social media and um, all of that good stuff. And then veggie is the, major personality on the show and does our editing. So it's a nice little, little group that we've got going. And I think there's a lot of potential there. So I'm excited. How did you guys come up with this, this concept or this idea? Like what made you, you know, really dedicate your resources and time to, to this project? So much like DJ gaming, I just kind of came up with it. I don't mean, I like, I don't want to like not give them credit, but I, I literally was just like, I want to do this. I want to do live gameplay. Uh, I asked Airball, which is one of our other DJs who lives local to me and was like, Hey, would you be interested in doing this? You're much better at tech stuff than I am. So on and so forth. And he was like, yes, let's do it. Um, and he actually put up a good chunk of the actual equipment costs. Mm -hmm. um, and then I fundraised some in my channel as well. And then I wanted a co-host and, um, uh, Airball's not super confident as far as like commander and is would would prefer to be off screen. Mm -hmm. And I was just like trying to think of who would be a good a good co-host and I just the only person I thought of was Veggie and I decided to run it by him. He's like, "Yes, this sounds fun. Let's give it a try." So I we flew him out for a weekend or for a whole week actually to do the initial recordings. And we were so happy with our product. He's like, "Yes, I'm in. Let's move to Portland." And I was like, "Great." That that's uh that's that's quite something. I mean, did, was there in your mind was there some sort of like internal business plan? Like like did you think about you know wh what it would mean? Like because obviously the project has to generate enough revenue or whatever it is to make it worth it, right? So what's your thought process when you when it comes to starting new things? I mean, a content creator's income is so fractured all over the place that no one thing is going to be necessarily bringing it all home unless you're game nights and then game nights obviously they just make a trillion dollars on their their episode um we will not do that we will have enough sponsors and it will give us enough traction in other areas as well to sort of make its own and then some and it all adds up so for example you know the patreon the ad revenue the sponsors um you know it will potentially make us more popular to make our private, you know, uh, Twitch streams more popular to increase our subs and so on. So it's just a little money from every direction. And then it all kind of adds up to a, a living. Yeah. 
what's your pitch for the show? Not that I'm an investor, but I'm just wondering, like, what is there a particular angle that you guys are trying to bring in terms of this project? Yeah, so it's more of um, an indie production in comparison to Game Nights, which is very overproduced. Everything is indie uh, compared to Game Nights, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, also, like, we don't necessarily always have top-tier decks. So one of the comments we got on episode one was that I loved that not every single land was worth $100 and not every mm. single card was 50 to uh, you know $400 a piece. We brought, everybody brought their favorite decks to the table. So Zbex brought her All Dogs Go to Heaven deck, which was all angels and dogs, which just by the sound of the deck, you can tell it's probably not the most expensive thing where, you know, on game nights, it's, you know, turn one, tropical island, yada, yada, yada. And it just kind of rinse and repeat. Uh, I've seen a lot of comments saying like every single deck at the table is like, you know, $4,500 plus, which is tough. So I like mm -hmm. that it's um, smaller indie style decks, production, as well as more about the content creators themselves, which I think is, is a nice little touch. But there's a lot of, you know, EDH content going around these days. It's kind of where the viewer base is, mm -hmm. which is what, like, drove me to want to make this show. Um, I, it's not my channel. It's not my content. I work for the community, essentially. And, you know, they're only going to pay me if I create the content that they want. So we have an EDH show now. And uh, we also want to be a lot more relatable than some of the higher production stuff. Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's a great point or a great, uh, angle, which is that, uh, it is going to be like magic decks or I guess playing magic with some, something that the, maybe the average magic player is more able to afford. Right. Cause like not everybody can shell out for a $4,500 deck. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's a combination of split episodes. We have decked out where we bring in content creators and play some of their favorite decks. Again, more home brews. And then the other half is decked out out of the box where we explore all the different pre-cons and actually show you what they look like in action before people decide whether they don't want to purchase them. Mm. Okay. So that's actually like a very nice, uh, kind of like, I don't know the term like economic or like a, a way, a financial thing mixed in with the magic content, right? Yeah. So if you follow my YouTube channel at all, you'll know that like my most popular videos are economy stuff. So yes. I talk a lot about like, is the mastery pass worth it? Let's break down all the items in the pre-order bundles and discuss whether that's worth it. How much is the new golden packs actually worth? Mm -hmm. And so that's just kind of my shtick. I think that's a poker player thing. Mm -hmm. the hashtag value. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So as a, as a creator and someone who um, I, I, I appreciate you being honest. Like you're the one who came up with the, the show basically. And you have people that are supporting you to, to make it happen. Like how much of your internal process is in terms of like thinking about what the audience wants? Like, I, I don't know if you can put a, a, a ratio on it or percentage on it, but like, it's, it seems like you're, uh, I think it's, it sounds like you have to be quite intentional in that. So how, what's your process for, for that and trying to figure out what sorts of content will quote unquote work. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of trial and error, of course. I mean, I noticed that some things are really popular in my stream that I used to do four years ago that aren't popular now. And if that's just not the content people are looking for, then you move on. And you can tell that in the stats and in the comments. It's not terribly difficult. Yeah. What What's your view on sort of produced or pre-recorded content versus 
live content because my understanding is that you still stream quite a bit or or try to but that requires sort of a lot of active work during the day and then there's also the pre-recorded youtube stuff which is or tiktok or whatever it is which is more like you're doing ahead of time and you're planning for it and there's it's more episodic uh whatever uh frequency it gets released so what's your view in terms of how you personally as a creator think about these two sorts of avenues i struggle to find a balance i my youtube is half that's probably more two-thirds reused content from my twitch live stream so what i do is i'll pick out drafts that i do and i edit them up edit out dead space or edit you know um, things that we are relevant to the live stream that are not relevant to the YouTube side. I'll edit that out. And I just put that up. And then I do the economy or inf informational videos, uh, one every week, every two weeks, something along those lines. And, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to do a balance for sure. I'm struggling to put out as much content as I would like to through the different platforms. Do you have a ideal mix of maybe, uh, maybe live versus non-live content. Uh, I, I don't know, like maybe it's dependent on your, your situation and things like that, but I'm curious if you have a, an ideal sort of, sort of mix. I mean, I strive for three YouTube videos a week and as much live stream as I can. The realistic answer is that like, no matter how much I'm producing, it'll probably never be enough compared to what I want to do. There's a bajillion ideas and just not enough time in the day. So what sorts of, uh, things are on the horizon. I mean, obviously you're going to be, uh, really focused on trying to make this new show work, but you've also got a lot of things going on all at the same time. So how do you look at the short term for nerd grow and for DJ and gaming? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to get through this first little hurdle here. It's pretty hectic with having, you know, veggie out for the recording and starting the new show while trying to manage DJ. Um, you know, we've got a handful of sponsors that are working with individual content creators and all of that kind of comes through me. I'm sort of the point of contact for everybody on the team for team-wide sponsorships, as well as independent. I'm actually, I basically act as their manager for 33 content creators, which is kind of a lot. Um, so I'm just trying to get through the hurdle of getting the summit done. There's a lot of organizing there as far as the Airbnbs and the recording studio, moving it there. Um, the, like I said, the content creator panels. That's sort of what we offered to do at the event was you can do meet and greets with us. Um, we'll be at a certain place, be playing EDH and offer open games. So a lot of organizational stuff there, but once I get through that hurdle, I'm hoping I can get back to focusing a little bit more on my content. And the nice thing about the show with veggie is that I'm not the editor. So once I, we, you know, we're going to record four episodes at summit. I have to deal with all the people, all the logistics, all of the stuff, but once they're recorded, that's veggies territory. I will upload him whatever he needs. And then I don't have to look at it again for a while. So that's good. I'll be able to focus a little bit more on my stuff. Do you enjoy editing when it comes to your own content? No, 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 I don't know how to edit. <laughs> um, I actually recently did a video for the wizards channel and I was like, Hey, veggie, will you edit some fancy stuff in here? And I'll give you money from wizards. <laughs> And he was like, yes, I would like wizards money. Oh, so please. that was him in the, doing the video. I saw the video. Uh, it was, it was cool. Yeah. Where I did the, um, 
com- competitive gameplay pyramid. Yes, you saw yes, that one? yes. The the introduction so, to competitive gameplay. Mm-hmm. So the text and like the the little moving box that came up that was veggie. Um, I was like, hey, they're paying me X. Would you just like you know twenty five percent of that to make this look fancier than I could do? And he was like, yes, I would. I was like, great. Is Veggie just like a, a super go getter? It seems like he just works super hard and is just like jack of all trades. I guess all creators are right, but he he seems like someone who really applies himself, if I may say. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, I've seen a lot of content creators, and some of them want to do more than than others. I think that's a, a very fair assessment of Veggie is that he he does do uh, a lot. What's your long, long-term or longer-term planning when it comes to your content career? Like, do you think a month and uh, sorry, a year in advance or a year into the future, like where you want to be, or is it just more like, here's the thing, stuff in front of me, I just need to get through this. Mostly the latter. Um, there are some things like the EDH show in general, like, is the closest thing I come to long-term planning. I think that this is a sustainable thing that I can make work grow into a bigger thing that can be a um, you know, constant source of steady revenue. YouTube revenue is much more stable than anything else. If I, you know, quit uh, streaming for a month, then I'm I'm dead. You make no money, and also your viewers don't come back. So that's a tough place to be. But mm-hmm. you know, if you film two episodes, queue them up, and then you can take off for a week, two weeks. You know, there's zero punishment there um, because you know you maybe have to, you can front load the work or or whatever you need to for the YouTube channel, which is nice. And I think that that is my long-term goal is to get to something that's more sustainable and not so fragile. So you do want to move increasingly off of live content, right? That requires you to be there. I don't necessarily want to move off of it. I just want to diversify and give myself the option. Um, One of the things that happened to me uh, a year or two ago is that I thought I was going to get banned from Twitch. I got an email that was... Uh, originally you could make multiple Twitch accounts with the same email. So what happened is bots would actually use the creator's email and make like names, MTG nerd girl C, MTG nerd girl J, MTG nerd girl Inc. And so that way the accounts seemed more real. And so they would actually use your email, even your logo. Um, and so a bunch of bots had made accounts to my email. Fast forward two years later, I've completely forgotten about those. And I get a, a your banned email from Twitch that you, your account is permanently banned. And uh, I was live at the time and I thought they were about to turn off my account. I started crying, it was a mess. Oh man, um, yeah. Yeah, and someone, I pulled up the email and someone was like, look at the name very closely. And it said MTG nerd girl. And then at the, attached to the L, there was a lowercase j. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the end of the name and it, we realized it was not. That's how me. they do it with they, the spoof accounts. It looks very similar, right? Yeah. They had banned a fake email that are a, a fake account that had been made attached to my email. It was devastating. Yeah. And I thought at the time I was not on YouTube and I, that's what made me start it was that I was concerned if I lost everything in the blink of an eye, I would be starting from, from zero and not be able to feed my dog. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even though you knew later on that wasn't, it wasn't your account, it was your email. But that feeling you had at the time was completely real, or I should say that feeling of terror or fear was like completely real in the moment, right? Yep. So I was like, okay, we need to diversify. If something should happen, I don't want to be in the position I thought I was in. That was so horrifying. And how do you feel about Twitch recently? Because I 
I have to admit, I don't stream on Twitch, but I, I, I read a lot of things about the industry. And so, you know, they've done some unpopular things lately to, to, to say the least, right? So do you have any views about how Twitch is now or where it's going? I mean, until, until someone steps up and is a competitor to Twitch, like Mixer was, I don't think there's anything to stop Twitch from just becoming increasingly more greedy with their, their stuff. They already take the highest rate out of anybody. Now I know their platform is a lot more expensive that to run than let's say OnlyFans that only provide like, you know, pictures. Um, the servers and the staff that are needed to run Twitch is, is a lot more, but also their rake is a lot higher. Um, taking, you know, 50% of all content creators earnings is, is quite hefty. Um, and only if you were making, you know, well over a thousand subs a month, were you given uh, a discount on that? And then they take 30% only, which is still a pretty hefty markup. And they're trying to take that away now, or they've announced that they will be taking that away, which is sad, but I, I hope that that's where it ends or that someone steps up to sort of push the envelope. It's sort of like magic. I feel like, especially with arena, there's nothing really offering that same level of competitiveness. So they're not forced to offer codes in their packs. They're not forced to really make any changes with the economy at all. Having said that, how do you feel about YouTube as a streaming competitor? I mean, YouTube has its own like infrastructure problems. We've had, they, they don't treat their creators very well. Um, I actually lost my monetization for YouTube as well. This was, this what? really happened. Really? What, what happened? Yeah. So I got hit with an email saying that my account had like fraudulent botting on it and that they, that I was doing it for likes or clicks or whatever, which was not a thing I was doing. So I put in the petition and it just like auto rejected. And it said, if you think this was like auto rejected unfair, please submit through this, this Avenue. I did auto rejected. And then. I couldn't respond anymore. And uh, it said, nope, sorry, no monetization. They ended my uh, AdSense account, everything. Uh, sent several emails, nothing, just ignored. So it wasn't until, oh, and the email said that like, it wouldn't give me any more information about what my account had been found doing because they don't want people to figure out how not to do it, essentially. So it wasn't until I found a friend, thankfully I've got friends in high places who has a million subscribers on YouTube. And they contacted their, you know, once you get that big, you have a personal handler who will talk to you at least. Um, and so he said, yeah, I can't help you because you're not on the account. So my friend's like, if you want, make me um, uh, not an account manager, but whatever's like a, slightly above that, like an administrator of the account. And right. then my Give guy will like have to talk to Some ownership, me. administrative access to it. Yes. Yeah. So I gave him that because I was like, well, he can't do anything. My account's already screwed. Um, so his guy talked to him, got back to him in two weeks. He's like, yeah, I fixed it. And, and he was like, well, what was wrong with it? And he's like, uh, it looked like some sort of glitch in the system. And that was it. And I never heard anything ever again. Yeah, but you were just completely out of luck unless you had that connect. Like Unless that connection, yeah. There was no way to fix it. So they have a ton of infrastructure problems as well. Yeah. But their ad revenue split and the way they um, sort of treat creators financially, I think is much more reasonable. I think every, I think Twitch is one of the worst, but they have the best platform. So that's, I mean, YouTube is the only thing that can compare uh, platform wise. 
Yeah, so it's kind of like a prisoner's dilemma. Like you kind of have to pick the lesser of evils, or maybe just as you said, like you kind of just have to hedge. Like just be on multiple because one day the, it, one could go away, right? It's just it's just mm -hmm. tough. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you for sharing that. That's just like I had no like I'm I'm a I'm not even monetized on YouTube. I'm a tiny, tiny, tiny like less than one thousand subs creator. I started my channel two two months ago, so I, I have no idea what it's like, and uh, I just have to know people in high places. I just have to <laughs> I have to make friends, I guess. If if someday that happens, it's just it sounds like it's just some sort of glitch, and then you just end up talking to robots the whole time. So it's like there's no way yep. you can actually get help. Even even my friend's handler was like, yeah, I couldn't really find anything that was wrong, and even my friend. He dove because I gave him control of my account. He's like, I looked at all of your stats. I looked at everything. Your clicks have not increased. Your ad revenue is like trash. I only make a couple hundred bucks tops, uh, you know, and that had not changed at all. So he's like, I have no idea what they think could have happened. And to be auto rejected in that way was very strange because there was no flags. Um, so I think what had happened was it got mistakenly flagged and the bots just for whatever that flag was, no negotiation, no mm -hmm. consideration, no like zero tolerance kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so they just will not hear you, basically. And uh, yeah, his uh, manager was like, yeah, I have no, no idea what happened. It was some weird glitch. I had to like manually override it and you're good now. And that was it. That is super alarming uh, because like yeah. for someone, I try to be analytical, but it's like, if you don't know the root cause, like you just have no, you're just flying by the seat of your pants. You just have no idea. Like, could this happen again? Like the next week mm -hmm. that something happened, like yep. you, you have no idea. It's crazy. And the, it's people's livelihoods for, you know, for you not even to be able to get a hold of a person yeah. when that's your job, your entire, like, you know, revenue It's insane to me, but that's the world we live in. <laughs> we, we live in a world of machines and algorithms for better or worse. So probably mostly for the worse. Yeah. That's, uh, I'm sorry you have to go through that. That, that must've been like super stressful. It was a little, but we're through it now. So hopefully it doesn't happen again. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I want to also just like switch topics a little bit. Like sometimes we're so busy creating that we, we have to actually look at the thing that we're creating off of as well. Right. Not saying that you don't, but I do want to ask you how, how do you feel about where magic is going? Like, obviously commander seems to be the present and the future. Um, there's also been a lot of things in terms of products and organized play, which I know now that you you have exposure to, like, do you have any general thoughts about where the game or the, the thing is going? Like, I don't know, like it's a pretty open-ended question, but just anything that comes to mind. I mean, it's a scary place to be when your entire job revolves around this game that according to Twitter is that, you know, they are lighting their own game on fire every single day. And it's like, oh, well, am I going to have a job next week? I don't know. It's definitely a scary place to be. I, I agree. Commander is the now and the future. It's the premier way to play. It's what Wizards is catering products to. It's what is most, you know, financially lucrative for Wizards. So they're going to continue to do so. Um, so yeah, it's just now it's like sink or swim, create content accordingly or don't. Um, I I have some concerns with the financials of wizards, the, the products that they're pumping out and how quickly and them constantly testing the boundary with how high they can price them is kind of scary, right? Like the, you know, they did the hundred dollar packs. They did the, um, you know, now 
$250 packs with Magic 30 stuff, and eventually they're going to find a breaking point. I don't know if I'll be around to see that or if maybe, you know, maybe they'll back it off before that happens. I don't know. But it, it's definitely scary to to work and live off of somebody else's product. Yeah, most definitely. Um, other than like the super high targeted for whales products, what about the magic experience for you, right? Whether you're playing commander or you're playing arena, like, are you still, I mean, what's your split? Is it like mostly fun? Is it like mostly work? Like, how do you, how do you process all that? It, I think it actually used to be before I was a content creator, I was, it was more work because what I made out of the tournament or what I, you know, the value I got from an event so I could get stuff off the prize wall that would help me pay for my event in my next event or my rent was a lot more stressful and a lot more work. Now everything is kind of through the lens of a content creator. So just being in a place, just participating, just uh, getting to experience fun cards that I can then make a comment about. Like I, this is an older, older one, but during one of the core sets, I don't remember what it was. I opened one of the Chandra's. And the Chandra says each opponent takes one damage. And so, like, I wouldn't have noticed that unless I was at the event playing 2HD with my friends, having a good time. And I got to make a tweet about it. It was like, oh, I'm going to mess some people up in this 2HG. And then I highlighted the, like, each opponent thing. And uh, that is now the lens in which I see magic. And it's a lot more fun for me um, than it used to be when it was about the value. Because if I didn't 3-0 the event, then I lost value and that's my livelihood. And now it's less about that. And it's a little bit more about enjoying magic. How do you think you've grown as a creator from, you know, starting off as a creator back then to, to now? Well, at the start, I didn't know anything about content or viewership or anything. So I've grown a lot in that way. I still feel like I don't know a lot. I have some little, little imposter syndrome. So that is not helpful, but <laughs> no, I, I have a, a, the drive that I had from the beginning and I don't think that has changed much. So it's always a learning situation. I've been doing it for longer than a lot at this point, which means I can give some insight to others, but I have a long way to go and I don't think I'll ever find the end. I'm sort of asking the question again, but now hearing your whole story and your whole experience, like I'm, I'm, I'm still wanting to know, like, if you have an idea, like where you get your drive from, you know, is it, is it, is it home through the years of like working the jobs and grinding poker? Is it just like being very, like, I have to survive. I have to do this. Or like, where, where does that drive come from? Because you, you, you just seem very driven. I mean, I don't know how uh, another, any other way to put it. I'm, I'm really. It's sort of like asking someone like, uh, you know, why are you this? And I guess it's not a great question, but I still want to know if you have any thoughts about that part of yourself. I mean, it's a tough question. I don't really know where I get it from. Um, I mean, I've been kind of on my own and working full time from a very young age. I started my first job, I think at like 13. And, um, you know, I was like out of the house in college or in high school. In high school, I was out of the house working full time during high school. Um, you know, my, my counselor would sign me out for my dentist appointments or doctor's appointments and stuff. So, you know, I just kind of had to do some stuff to survive, like you said. So that is where 
the grind and the hustle came from? Because when you're a kid and you need to make money, you, you know, you can't go get a, a, a big boy job. So you just have to hustle. Um, and, and I did. Um, and my entire life has just kind of been a progression of that. But, but it, it seems like your, your mother is a part of your life now. You mentioned she just moved, moved, moved in with you and like, what what was it like in terms of the family dynamic, uh, you know, back then and now? How how has that evolved? Um, my grandma helped a lot and helped raise me when I was younger. Single mom, worked a lot, and that was kind of it. Nothing, nothing, nothing spectacular. I don't really have any like anything too out of the norm. Like you know, what I mean, it was you know single mother household. That was kind of it. I'm not a very interesting interview. E. No, 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 I'm no. Sorry. Actually, I no. Th th actually, this is not what I'm thinking. Just to like break the fourth wall. Like, I've actually felt like this has been one of the more interesting interviews, just because you're like super. Because let's be honest. Like, I ask you a lot of questions about like, oh, what's it like to be a content creator doing this, this, this? It's like, um, and you're very generous with like answering everything. Because like, I, I, I can feel that. Uh, and, and let's be honest, right? I, I, I tell this to a lot of my guests. It's like, you've never talked to me before. So it's like, there's no, it's very difficult. Like, I understand that. So it's like, this is sometimes why I do the interviews and I find that only like two hours into it, like the person, uh, is starting to open up a tiny bit, but it, it requires a lot of trust, which I, to be honest, I haven't really earned the trust of someone who I'm talking to for the first time. So I, I, I apologize too, if like I'm making you, uh, uncomfortable in, in some way. No, not at all. Not okay. uncomfortable. It's more that you're probably asking questions that a psychiatrist would ask. And I don't know how to, I don't have an answer. <laughs> like I haven't and looked so that deep. Yeah, like... <laughs> yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a psychiatrist uh, or, or trained. I, I just, I'm just naturally curious, which is, well, I hope you understand. I'm just asking the question. Cause like, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like my whole, my whole thing is like, I just want to know how people do their yeah. thing. And that, that's it. Like, there's no, I, I hope you understand. I'm not trying to like, no, no, I don't think you, you are. I just, I, yeah. I just don't know the answer. So that, that when you had to like ask the question again as to where I get this drive, it's like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I just have kind of always done that. I don't know if it's being sort of like it, what you, it felt like you were trying to get at was like, you know, the, my relationship with my mother. So I was like on my own a lot more maybe, mm -hmm. but like, who knows? Maybe if I had the perfect, wonderful, uh, you know, two parent household, maybe I still would have been a crazy workaholic. I'm sure they exist outside yeah. of, um, outside of that. So it's sort of, I just do, I just have to do a thing and, um, don't leave for tomorrow. What can be done today, I suppose. Yeah. And that's it. No, I mean, that's fair. I mean, in, in some ways it's kind of like, if you ask me like, why is my hair black? Right. I, I'm just, I, I, I'm just this way. And, uh, and I, I also am, uh, if you knew me a little bit better, I would also tell my friends, like, I'm always wary of like those narratives, right? Okay. You know, because I did X, Y, and Z, I am now A, B, and C. Like, I, I think life is a little bit more complex than that. So I, I'm definitely not trying to imply, uh, that you, you give me like some sort of narrative about, uh, you know, your, your upbringing or things like that. So I apologize if I, if it came across, I'm, no, all, I'm also like very, like, I, w I honestly wish analytical. I could. Yeah. <laughs> I think the short answer is that I want to succeed. And I think that it is such a hard market to do. 
here in the world of content creation, we talked about it earlier that like so few people do succeed is that if I want it, I'm going to have to work my butt off. And that's the only option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, and that, that's great. I mean, I'm, I'm such a, a small fry compared to the, the stuff that you've achieved and I I'm trying to get there too. So it's like a part of it is also just what I ask people, um, you know, how you did it. I'm trying to also figure out like, is there stuff that I can apply? Obviously understanding that, uh, anyone listening to this, including me, like, I can't just copy somebody and just, just get there. Everyone has their own unique path. Like I know that on an intellectual level, but I'm still trying to like, get, get stuff in terms of your answers and try to see like what I can absorb. So yeah, hope I mean, you don't take it. I the think wrong that way. there's a lot that you can copy and you don't need, I think the word copy from a content creator is so silly. Mm -hmm. Um, like people are like, Oh, you know, you're just copying X and it's like, no, I like saw a thing and I made it my own, mm -hmm. you know, like, I don't know. It's sort of like saying, a hip hop artist is con like is copying a different hip hop artist, but like be just because the genre of the music, if that makes sense, like we all sort of do this thing and it's like, Oh, I like the way that sounds. I like this music. I want to produce music similar to this. And I think that's sort of the way people should view content creators. Yes. If I start doing the exact same thing or steal someone's art, that's way different, but it's like, Oh, that's a really cool idea. I can totally do that. Or, you know, I didn't think about having a set schedule or diversifying platforms. Like that's a really neat idea. I should do it. And it's not a copying thing. It's just good ideas. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I was just telling somebody the other day, like, uh, in some ways everything is the Beatles, right? Like all music has been done before. So you can't say that I, because I'm doing some genre of music or some genre of magic content, I'm copying somebody else because like, especially if like, it's just taking inspiration from, or if it's like. Um, how do I put it? Like if I can work smarter by doing something and learning from someone and, and, uh, copying them in some way, I would do it. Like, for example, I know that a YouTube video should be structured like this. You should like, there's some best practices. So it's like, I'm not, yeah, I guess technically speaking, I'm copying, but I guess everybody's sort of copying the Beatles. Right. So it's, it's okay to kind of take things and, and make it your own, I guess. Yeah. I think that's very, very true. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, What's the best place for people to, to find you on social or where, where you would like your content to be found? Yeah. So you guys can find uh, me on all platforms as MTG nerd girl, no spaces, just like it sounds. Um, but if you guys are interested in the um, new EDH show that we've talked a fair amount about, it's on a YouTube channel called tournament grounds, which you can find links to on uh, my social media as well and all the regular places. So if you forget that name, MTG Nerd Girl will direct you to anything that you need to find. Okay, last question. How did you come up with the name MTG Nerd Girl? Was it just like a oh. stroke of insight or what? No, it was like 13-year-old me who put it somewhere and then it stuck. And now I have major regrets and I wish I could rebrand, but it's too late. <laughs> because you made it and wow. now you can't undo it, right? Yeah. yeah. So like I made it as like a screen name and then I was like, Oh, I'll just put this screen name in my like TCG seller account. And then mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, well I'm already selling cards at this name. So I might as well put it on YouTube or Twitch. So people know it's me. And then everybody's like, Oh, you just want to be a girl. And I'm like, shut up, Joe Bob 69. I'm not going to take any <laughs> crap from you. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I mean, I made regrets. it and not like literally made it, but like made it, made it as a creator, right? Because you made a name for yourself. So now you, it's hard to re rebrand yes. or rename yourself. That's what. 
Yeah. And that is why it is too late. Yes, I can't get rid of it. I'm I'm sort of stuck here, but I have some regrets. But you know, thirteen year old me thought it was fine. So here we are. Yeah. Hey, I mean, <laughs> if there's one takeaway, we kind of have to live with our our actions. So thank you so much, Nerd Girl, for taking the time to talk with me. I'm 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 so happy that you took the time to be candid, and uh, I hope you have a great rest of the the evening where you are. Thanks. Yeah, you too. It was really fun. And uh, anytime you guys ever need anything, don't hesitate to reach out.